morning, and I'm going to read to you his word. Um, this comes to us from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, if you'll follow along. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. Thank you guys so much for having me back here again. Um, I've been in Charlotte for six years now, and uh, some of my best friends um, when I was in seminary were interns here. I was just here a couple weeks ago to send off uh, Paul Major, who's the last of uh, the interns that I knew. And uh, I love this church. I haven't been able to be here as much as I wish that I could have, but I'm really thankful for you guys, thankful for your support of our ministry and for welcoming me every time I'm here. So thank you. Um, let me pray before we look at God's word this morning. Father, would you, uh, would you be with us this morning as we look at your word, um, this text that is filled with hope for your people, um, with hope for people who feel hopeless, uh, who feel like um, the world is against them, who feel uh, this this uh, aching sense of the world is not their home. Would you remind us this morning that our home uh, is a place that is coming? It's with you. It's a place that we can um, that we can expect and long for, and that we can live faithfully here because uh, of the place that you are calling us. We pray that you would uh, help us to see that clearer this morning. We ask in Christ's name, Amen. So this summer, my uh, family and I have uh, been on the road quite a bit. We were able to travel uh, earlier this summer to uh, do some trips with college students with RUF. Um, and then uh, we've done a few other vacations, but we've been on the road a lot. And, and I've realized that I really like traveling. I enjoy just about everything about being on the road, but there's something about traveling a lot that gives you um, something else to be thankful for. And that for me is coming home. Uh, what I've realized, for me, it's usually coming from the South, is that there's, there's like a physical uh, spot and place where, where the, the, that feeling when you're on the road where you just don't know um, places, 
or, or people or restaurants, you're just not familiar, just kind of melts off. And for me, it's usually coming from the south up 85. I'll go through Atlanta and Greenville and Gaffney. And when I see the, the outline of the Charlotte skyline, I just, I get this sigh of relief, like, okay, I'm home. Right, when I see, see that Duke Energy building and, and the rest of Charlotte uh, just opens up to me, I recognize that I'm finally home. I'm finally at a place where I know the roads, I know the people, I know the restaurants, I know where I want to go. I'm at a place that is familiar to me. We all have these experiences of being at home, of this, this homeness. For some of you, it might just be landing in your chair at the end of a long day of work. For, for others of us, it's being at a meal with people who just get you, with those friends who have known you your whole life, and you can, you can tell jokes, you can, you can tell stories and laugh together, and, and you're just with people who know you and love you in your home. Uh, one thing that, that I've come to really love is when I'm with uh, people that I really enjoy, and it, it's been a while, maybe I'm, I'm at my house, and at some point I realize that I don't even know what time it is, that, that people are over, maybe they came over for lunch and have stayed through dinner, and it could be four in the afternoon, it could be two in the morning. I, you just, you don't know what time it is because you're just at home. You're just where you're supposed to be. And this text is supposed to transport you to those micro experiences of home where you have this deep sigh of relief because you are with the people and the places that you're supposed to be, where, a place where just for a moment you aren't anxious and afraid and lonely. I think that if I could summarize this text in a sound, which I, I would actually love Pastor Howard to do every week, just like pick a sound and, and summarize the text, it would be <sighs> that sigh of relief, that, that feeling that we've all had when you're at the place where you're, where you're finally at peace. And the obvious problem for all of us in going back to that spot where we felt at home, where we felt at peace, is that that time has passed. That, that for me, when I was on a road trip with my family, and I felt at home in Charlotte, I finally got to my actual house, and I had to unpack my car and put my two-year-old to bed. And I didn't feel at home anymore. I didn't feel that feeling of peace anymore, because she was crazy, and, I, and everything was undone. When I'm sitting around a table with people that I love and we're having this wonderful, lingering conversation that we just are enjoying each other and, and the conversation and the community, at the end of it, the check comes. If you know anything about me, you know that I get no pleasure in the check coming. I don't, I don't want to be the, <laughs> the big spender that picks up the tab. I don't enjoy it. I don't feel at peace anymore. It's over. And so while we... We might feel a sense of, of homeness on earth at times. We live with a keen awareness that this world is not our home. We all know it. This world is deeply and irreversibly broken. And so we try to find newer and more permanent means of satisfaction, of ways of feeling at home, and all of them fail us. All of them come to an end. 
There are thousands of little places that we, we try to make our home and none of them satisfy us. And the good news of this passage is that Jesus is coming to take you to your home. That you are going to a place where you don't have to try to remember if there was a time in the past where you felt content or where you were happy because you will dwell in a place with God himself that will be filled with peace and contentment and your tears will be wiped away forever. You will be in your ultimate home. That is where you are going if you are in Christ. It is secure, it is bought for you, and it is something that you can never doubt again. And this is especially good news if you are someone who is weary, that if life weighs you down, like it does me, that the hope in the gospel is that you are going somewhere that you will be at peace. So I just want to look this morning fairly briefly at at the hope that we have in our new home, the hope that we have in Jesus where we're going. And And I just want to look at three things, that we will be with God, that in our home we will not fear, and that in our home we will receive our new inheritance. I just want to say as we start out that, that typically, if you hear this text preached, it's, it's at a funeral. Uh, this tends to be a funeral text because it's meant to speak to grieving people. And, and I want that to be kind of at the forefront of your mind because this is supposed to speak uh, into the places where you feel uh, anxiety, where you feel fear, where you feel alone, and where you're grieving. That This is a text that is hopeful for hurting people. And so if you're, you're here this morning and you're in that spot, I think that we're free to say some things in this kind of context that you might not hear at a funeral or, or something like that when you're grieving, but, but know that this text is supposed to speak into those hard places of your life. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you hope in those places. And the first hope that you have is that you will be with God. Look at verse, uh, verses 2 and 3. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So John says that uh, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and God will dwell with them. And and that, I think, begs the question for us, what is the new Jerusalem? This is kind of Bible speak that that maybe doesn't make sense to many of us. He uses the term holy city and new Jerusalem. And we need to understand that if we need to understand the hope of our new home. And really, holy city and new Jerusalem is just two ways of saying the same thing. In the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel are, are called the new Jerusalem and the holy city. In Isaiah, he says, Awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. And Daniel, when he's praying for the people of Israel, he says, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people, God, your holy city. And so what you need to see is Jerusalem has been the place where God has always dwelled with his people. And until the time of Christ at the crucifixion, when he came down and the curtains were torn in two, Uh, The holies of holies, it it is the place where God has been and the people could go there and they could be in the presence of God. 
But in Acts 2, God sends a helper. He sends his Holy Spirit to dwell with his people. And instead of dwelling in a physical place in Jerusalem, he fills his people. He fills, he fills believers. And so what you need to understand is that if you have faith in Christ, you are the new Jerusalem. You are the holy city because the presence of God is in you. And so when Revelation says that God will come down and he will dwell in the new Jerusalem, that he will be with his holy city, that he is, he is actually speaking of you and I in this room, that this is immensely personal for you, that God will be with you, that this text had you in mind, that you are the holy city. The image that he uses is one of the most joyful images that you can imagine of God uh, being as a bride preparing for the groom. If you've ever been at a wedding, you know that this is the day that you have dreamed of your whole life. Some of you have maybe cut out pictures in magazines and scrapbook dreaming about this day. That, that it's the day long anticipated, the, the day that you're longing for, that God is waiting, that we are expecting a day where we will dwell with him and we will be together with him. It's, it's supposed to be a glorious day. And really, this, this begs the question for a lot of us, which is, is being with God in your eternal home something that sounds even appealing at all? There are all kinds of things that that we enjoy more than being with God. And so for some of you to hear that uh, your life in eternity will be in the dwelling place of God does not fill your heart with joy. It just doesn't. You will never desire heaven until you see the beauty of how much you have been loved in Christ. When you believe how much God has loved you, when you really believe it, you will desire to be with him. I, I saw this illustrated for me so clearly, um, kind of humorously, uh, in, in an email from Presbytery. Now, that doesn't mean most, uh, any, it doesn't mean much to most of you, but Presbytery is uh, this group of churches that gets together um, in, in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church, to do business. And Almost nothing interesting comes out of an email from Presbytery. But there were two words in this email from our, our, our church government that instantly made me cry. Um, it was an email that was actually back in two, 2013 when a missionary that our denomination sent out uh, from Charlotte to the Czech Republic uh, sent an email back asking for prayer. Uh, his... Uh, 10-month-old daughter, Eliza, had been diagnosed with cancer, and um, he was right in the middle of it, and he was hurting so badly. Jake, uh, this missionary, uh, sent an email to some of the pastors, and this is what he said, uh, uh, thinking of the, the hope that we have in being with God. He said, many of you have heard through email about my 10-month-old daughter, Eliza. She has what appears to be a cancerous tumor on her liver. I know that several of you prayed today, and we are so grateful. I want to ask you to continue to pray for Eliza and for my wife and I as we make a lot of decisions about treatment. And he signs off with these two words, heaven soon, Jake. Now, what is Jake saying in that brief exchange? He's saying, my life is 
falling apart. All of my expectations are shattered. My world is in a tailspin. I don't have a clue what God could be doing through this event that seems so evil. But to be with Jesus, to be in heaven soon, that's the only hope that I have. I look at the world around me that is falling apart, my life that that looks nothing like I expected it to be. But heaven soon. If you have ever been in the pit, you know the aching that you have to be in another world. To be in a place where where not only is that pain uh, non-existent, but it's undone. That That it doesn't even exist anymore because you are with a God who loves you so deeply that, that he can handle even the greatest pain of your life. And that is our hope if you are in Christ, that one day you will be with God, that your pain will be undone. I want so badly for this truth to make your heart swell with joy this morning, especially if you're here and you feel joyless. You feel dry. You you feel like God has, has forgotten you and abandoned you. I want you to know that he is meeting you in your lowest places, that he is coming for you and he has not forgotten about you. That if you are in Christ, you are going to a place where you will be with him and all that is wrong will be undone. Not only will you be with him, but but point two, you will not fear. Look with me at at verses one and then four and six. The Apostle John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then he says in verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When I, when I read this text for the first time as I was studying it, Verse 1 really stuck out to me, and especially right at the end, where it says, the sea will be no more. And that, to me, felt just like this throwaway phrase that is talking about the end of time where God will come to be with his people in the new heavens and the new earth, and it's talking about the sea. And it just it didn't make sense to me, and so, so I looked into it a little bit more, um, and I wondered, what does the sea being no more have to do with God handling our deepest fears? And then I saw that in Revelation 12 and 13, uh, John uses the image of the sea as the place where the great dragon emerges to torment the people of God. And actually, all throughout the Bible, the sea is a place uh, of great torment and distress. In Isaiah 57, uh, the sea is a place where wickedness dwells. The people reading this would have seen the sea as a place of ultimate anxiety, of a place where they would never want to be. And what what John is saying, what God is saying through John when he says the sea will be no more, is that in the new heavens and the new earth, not a particle of evil will exist. Not a single particle of evil can exist in the new heavens and the new earth. 
And that this, what I thought was a throwaway phrase, is actually one of the most beautiful portraits of God's tender mercy to his people. That, that he is coming and he is creating a new heaven and a new earth. And not only will uh, all that is wrong be undone, but he will cast out all evil. All that has tormented us before will be gone. And this annihilation of evil is good news to you if you've ever had your eyes filled because of evil. I, mean, I think this passage is especially comforting to those uh, who have experienced brokenness with no clear, immediate silver lining. And uh, what, I, what I mean by that phrase really is that um, in, in kind of the normal course of relationships, when things go wrong, um, say, in, in the life of a friend, uh, we try to comfort them by offering a silver lining. And so when uh, your friend loses his job, you go to him and you say, it's okay, God will get you a better job. And um, first of all, that's really bad advice. It's not, that's not actually very comforting. And second of all, that just might not be true. It just might not. Uh, God might have completely different plans. But we try to offer a silver lining. We try to make it better by, by saying, it's okay that this happened, but this other thing will happen that will actually make it better, and you'll be glad that this bad thing happened. But what I'm talking about are the situations where there's no clear silver lining, where all you can do is sit with a friend and cry, because there is nothing that you can say. And some of you are living in the reality of that world right now. I mean, even in my own life, I remember a few weeks ago getting a text from some people in my church asking to pray because another child from our church had been born and needed immediate open-heart surgery and was in the NICU. And I saw it, and it just it stopped me dead. I thought, God, why? You look at that, and it's hard, to say, it's hard to say what God is doing. We had some friends over a, a few weeks ago uh, who are grieving that they've gone through their fourth miscarriage. And they now fear that they will never have children because their bodies are broken by the evils of the fall. And there's no silver lining. You can just sit and cry. A student of mine shared with me a few years ago that he was abused by someone as a child that he should have trusted. Many of you have experienced this same harsh reality. And now, instead of feeling loved and cared for, he spends his life in agony with confusing emotions, unsure who to trust and who to love. And some of you desperately want to be married, and instead of finding that relationship that you've looked for, you find loneliness again. And you sit and you wonder, what's wrong with me? Some of you uh, have been in marriages where you have been deeply hurt and betrayed, and now the future looks nothing like you thought it would. And your life is irreversibly broken by the evils of the world. And you and those grieving with you can do nothing but sit with tears in their eyes, 
longing for heaven soon. We are all affected by this brokenness. And the promise is that this evil will not exist in the new heavens and the new earth. Not only will we forget about it, it won't just be that we forget about it, it will be undone. It will be no more. Now we believe, of course, that God is sovereign, that he uses these situations on earth in real time and space to make us holy, to grow us, and for his good purposes. But it's not easy to answer why God is doing what he's doing. And for many of these situations, they truly will never be resolved on earth. And so just even as an aside, I want to say that it is okay to grieve those losses, to truly grieve without a timetable. That if, that, that, that if you feel the pressure to, to grieve and move on from, from people outside, that, that I'm, I'm, I want to free you to grieve, that you're not a bad Christian if you're still struggling with the evil that's been done against you. That this text assumes that you will go to heaven with tears in your eyes and that Jesus will wipe them away. But I want you to be reminded of the hope that this world is not your home. That John says in verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. That you can grieve, but do not grieve as one without hope. That God is on the throne. That there is an actual day coming where mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And this is hope enough to make you look at the world and sigh, heaven's sin, heaven's sin. I think that we get a a great picture of this hope by looking at people throughout history, usually just because we can see their life in, in completion. And one of my favorite hymn writers is a guy named Henry Light. Henry Light has written most of the hymns that the church has sung from the time that he lived, uh, really until now. And he lived in 1800s, lived in the 1800s. And in 1844, he was diagnosed with tuberculosis, which was this crippling, uh, crippling disease that plagued him for the rest of his life. And uh, he was trying to understand what God was doing through his suffering, how, uh, how he could hope for heaven through his suffering. And it was actually during the time where he suffered the most that he wrote the hymns uh, that, that we still have today. And one of my favorite hymns, the hymn that we sing to our daughter every night, is Abide With Me. And uh, when he was near the end of his life, the doctors told him that he had just a few weeks to live. And it was kind of tradition at that time for a person who is sick and dying to retreat to the sea Uh, to pass in peace. And so two weeks before he died, Henry Light went to the sea, went went to, to a house at the beach, and he wrote a letter to his wife. And in uh, deep pain and agony on the back of the letter, he penned the words, abide with me, with shaking hands and hurting bones. He wrote, I fear no foe with you at hand to bless. 
Ills have no weight and tears lose their bitterness. Where is your sting death? Where grave your victory? I will triumph still if you abide with me. I mean, who should fear the grave more than the one who has gone to the sea to die? I mean, who should feel the bitterness of his tears more than the one who has suffered under a disease for many years? But Henry understood that his hope was not in his situation in life, that his hope was actually to be in heaven with God, in a place where he would not fear, in a place where his sickness would be undone, where his tears would be wiped away. And if you are living under the heaviness of the world, I hope that this can be your prayer. That you will be comforted by God who is coming to make all things new, who will wipe away all fear from your life. That you can deal with the fears that you have when you remember that you will be with God. That you can fear no foe with God at hand to bless because he is abiding with his people. That he has has sent his spirit down to dwell inside of you. And so you can live with hope in the middle of your brokenness. That your brokenness, that your pain, that your anxiety and fear is not a blind spot of God's. That he's actually using it to make you hope for heaven. And so we, we see that we will be with God and it is, it is very hopeful. We see that we will not fear. And finally, we see that in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will receive our inheritance. Look with me back at at verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers... The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This section is the great promise to those who have faith in Christ that there is a day coming where not only will we be with God and we will not fear, but we will receive our inheritance. The, the inheritance of believers is spoken, up, spoken of all throughout Scripture. The clearest place is in Romans chapter 8, where Paul says, if we are children, then heirs, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That if you are a believer in Christ, you are an heir to all that, is, that has been earned for you through Jesus. Uh, I was here a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe a month and a half ago, when Pastor Howard was uh, preaching on Hebrews 11, the life of Abraham, and that sermon has stuck with me for several weeks now. And uh, I, I think that there's actually no better example of the hope for our inheritance than Hebrews chapter 11. There are men and women in that chapter, in the hall of faith, who are called faithful, who are, who are told that, that their lives are pleasing to the Lord, who will not in this life, or did not in this life, receive the inheritance that they inspected. Instead, they looked forward to the faithfulness 
They looked forward to the inheritance that they would receive on earth because of the faithfulness that they experienced on earth. Uh, Listen to Hebrews 11 and what it says about the hope that we who are in Christ have in our inheritance. It says uh, that these all died in faith, that is, all those who are in the hall of faith that you've heard about for several, probably several months now. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a heavenly city. The promise for those who are in Christ is not that your faithfulness will somehow translate into an easier and better life now. The promise for those in Christ is that God has prepared a place for you, that you and I are going somewhere together. And that all you need to do to reach this heavenly home is to feel your homelessness. All that is required is that you feel your need of Jesus. And he even does this work on your behalf. Another one of my favorite hymns that we sing in RUF all the time says that all the fitness that God requires is that you feel your need of him. And even this he gives you. That if you are wondering, if you are one who will receive this inheritance, ask yourself if you feel your need of Jesus. This is true if you've been in the church your whole life. And this is true if it's your second week to be here. Verse 8 gives a list of those who who will not receive their inheritance. I'm sure you noticed that at the end. This verse is a clear warning to those who do not believe and who continue to live in sinfulness. But I think it's also a great grace for those who believe in Christ. It's actually a great verse of God's mercy. Uh, There's a a professor who is my mentor here in Charlotte, Dr. Kelly, who recently retired from the seminary. And uh, he wrote a book uh, about Revelation. And he says something I think that is just very fascinating about this verse, uh, verse 8 and how it relates to those who are in Christ. He says, if you take the list of sins in verse 8 that put people eternally away from God in the lake of fire, you will have there a multitude who are in heaven who have done these very things. Cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Many of the most beautiful and joyful saints in heaven committed these same sins that put unbelievers in the lake of fire. David committed adultery and murder. Moses murdered. Samson was a fornicator. The woman at the well is a prostitute. But they are all in heaven because they had saving faith. Here's the point. If you feel like you are not worthy enough to come to Jesus because of your sinfulness, know that neither were the most respected characters in the Bible 
that, that all of them have committed these sins that are in verse 8. And if not for the mercy of God, they too would have been sent to the lake of fire, but they are in heaven with Jesus. That the invitation to God's grace is so wide spreading that it goes to the darkest places of our hearts. That God's grace is sufficient for all people. That this text is an invitation to the dinner party to come and sit down and eat and find rest for your soul. So what hope do we have in our new home? I mean, our hope is that we will be with Jesus and that he will make all things new. This hope is real for all who have experienced evil in the world. And this hope is for those of us who long for a new home, a place where we can find real rest for our souls. I I haven't really seen a a better picture of someone living out this hope than the life of a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. Some of you may have heard of her. She's had offices here in Charlotte before, but Joni, when uh, she was 13 years old, was swimming in Chesapeake Bay, and she uh, dove into the water not knowing that it was shallow, and so she broke her neck and back and became a quadriplegic. And she runs a Christian ministry now, has written books, travels to speak, and is interviewed all the time. And so her life is very public. And there was a time where she was, she was being interviewed, and what she typically does during an interview is she takes the person who's trying to, to record her life just around on her regular day. And so she's taking this interviewer around, this reporter around, She goes to her office, and she runs some errands. And as they're driving to the next place, she shares with this reporter how much she loved riding horses when when she was growing up before her accident. And uh, they get to the next spot, and um, the reporter realizes that they're pulling up to the horse stables. And they go out, and Joni sits for a few hours and watches the riders ride their horses. And the reporter, after some time, just kind of trying to get into the mind of Joni, asks, why do you come down to the stables every week to watch the riders ride? And I mean, the implication is clear, right? you, You are a quadriplegic. You will never ride again. This is not going to be a reality for you. And she said, I come down to watch the riders ride so I don't forget how to ride. Because where I'm going, I will ride again. She is a woman hoping for the joy of heaven. Do you have that same hope in the brokenness of your life that all that's lost will be restored? The new heavens and the new earth gives you hope that all that was once lost will not be lost forever that Jesus is redeeming all that is broken, and that one day you and I, who have faith in Christ, will be home. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so thankful for this reality, that you are taking us someplace, that, that this worship this morning is to reorient our hearts, to look forward to the day that we will be home with you, Will you help us in our longings, 
in our lost desires, in our shattered dreams, to hope for a day where all will be restored, to hope for a day where we will have real joy with you because we see how much we are loved by you. Lord, will you help that to be true for us today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.